you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And we will be uh, reading together verses 12 through 17. Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And we are continuing our study or our series on God's report card for the church. Beginning with verse 12. And the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And he who has an ear, let him hear What the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the inspiration of it. And now may it speak to our hearts and our lives As your children, may we be challenged, may we be changed, and may we literally never get over it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is report card time again, and I know it's actually report card time coming up for those that are in school. I believe we just finished a grading period, and so we know that those report cards will be coming and will be on their way. So I I pray that all of that goes well for everyone. Some folks really love report card time uh, because it is a good time that affirms the hard work that you did. Others may not like report card time as well because it reminds us of maybe uh, some of the things we could have done better on. And, 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 and you know what? One part I never did like, I never did like those little comment sections. You know what I'm saying? Where the teachers could put those comments in there and, and usually mine had something to say like, uh, uh, your son Tim really enjoys socializing and talking with his friends Problem was, it was also said when he's supposed to be doing his work. Now, I think I've passed that along uh, to my girls in some way or fashion a little bit as well. They enjoy talking to their friends as well. But um, we uh, are, are in this report card time. Now, we talked about the report card that God gives the church at Ephesus. Ephesus gets this report card that they have lost their first love, that they're keeping the doctrine, they're doing the hard work, but they have lost that first love. They have lost that that thing inside of them that they need to be uh, loving one another and spreading the love of. Then the church of Smyrna, we talked about that last week and how it was a persecuted church, but it it actually got a good grade because that church was persevering 
through the tough times. And he said, if you want to persevere, and this is personally or as a church or whatever, acknowledge your blessings. Do not fear. We just sang about that. And then live it out till the end. Live it out throughout your whole life. Hang on until the end. And God says there is a crown of life that is for you there. And so uh, this takes us to the next church in Asia Minor, which is the church of Pergamos. Also, some translations call it Pergamon. And it is the oldest city. It's in the oldest city of the province uh, of the, of, and the official seat of the Roman government, all right, during that time. Now, we know that there were a lot of things happening. And if you've seen any things or shows about ancient Rome, you know that there were some wild practices out there, to say the least. And, and, and in fact, there, were, there was persecution of Christians that were happening during those times. In fact, he starts by giving them a good grade in verse 13. He says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. I don't know about that, but that sounds like that could be a challenge. Amen? Where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to, the name, to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. In other words, he says, you have seen Antipas, you have seen people that have been martyrs, but you have held the faith even during that time. Now, Satan's throne was most likely, most scholars believe that Satan's throne is, they're referring to this 200-foot-high altar to Zeus. And there were all kinds of other emperor worships going on there. A lot of times the emperor would claim themselves as a god, and that's why they were ruling and all. And so all that was going on. And with that, uh, there were kind of these practices that definitely were not godly practices. In fact, there were things like uh, eating, to, uh, eating the food that's offered to idols. That was one no-no. There was another thing happening there called temple prostitution. Um, those two words should not go together, let me just say that, but that was kind of, those kind of things were happening, especially in some of the uh, Roman gods, uh, temples and everything, and, and then he, he says, now you've held good in the persecution part, but look at what it says in verse 14, but I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. And what he's saying is there are some within you that are, that have taken up this doctrine of Balaam. Now, the doctrine of Balaam, uh, if you want to look for that, it's in the Old Testament. Remember, Balaam's the one that's on the road going, and, he's, uh, and his donkey ends up, like, kicking him off and, and end up, you know, telling him, no, you can't go. The donkey talks. That's right, donkey. That's right. But anyway, like, like on Shrek, I don't know if the donkey had Eddie Murphy's voice or whatever, but anyway, he talks to Balaam, and by the way, we are going to have a donkey on Palm Sunday. Hallelujah. Uh, amen. All right, so um, we are going to have a real donkey with us on Palm Sunday. But, but Balaam, of course, was, he was warned not to get involved with the folks that were going to lead him into idol worship. And he's saying there that same kind of doctrine, that same kind of thing is happening. And then in verse 15 it says, Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. 
which thing I hate. Now, this is the second time in, these, uh, in this series that it is talked about the Nicolaitans, and somebody asked me on the way out, what was that doctrine that, that God actually hated? Because that, that we need to know what that is. Well, in this one, um, we find out what it is. It was, think about some of the kind of out there type of practices that different... Um, uh, different cults and, and different uh, groups may have done during those days, especially, like I say, the temple prostitution, all that kind of thing. And they were actually bringing some of that stuff back into the church. They were trying to put those kind of things back into the church. And I was trying to think, okay, what would be something today that, that this could kind of uh, similarly relate to. And I, and I got to thinking about this thing, and you may know what it is or whatever. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like it sounded, but it's actually something else. But there's this thing out there called, there's this kind of stage of dating or seeing each other, I think, that's called Netflix and chill. Now, I thought that Netflix and chill meant you sit back on the couch, you make some popcorn, and you watch Netflix and chill. But it's not. In fact, it is something that I really don't want to get into. You may need to ask your parents or grandparents or grandchildren, actually, or children about it. But anyway, and if you hear them say, oh, we're just going to Netflix and chill. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Let me just go ahead and say that. It's Netflix and it's chilling, but there's a whole lot of other stuff going on, all right? And all, but, but, but imagine, now I was almost busted because I was going to say something one day about Netflix and chill meaning Netflix and chill, I mean like Netflix and just chilling, and uh, somebody actually sent me, said, you probably don't want to mention that, all right? But anyway, you probably want to say that because it means something else. Um, but, but I think Pastor Kim helped me out there or whatever. And so, um, But the thing was is that imagine us taking the practice of Netflix and chill and making it a program in the church. Making it maybe the program for youth or, or for college age or, or, or for senior adult ministry. I don't know, you know, but that's getting bad. But anyway, but, but, but I'm just going to leave it there. But imagine that kind of thing. No wonder the Nicolaitans are somebody that are doing something. God doesn't hate them, but he hates what they're doing, okay? So that was kind of where we are. So what I want us to look at this morning... What does this report have to do with us today? What does this report have to do with us today? And by the way, I know there's going to be a bunch of people Googling Netflix and chill after this is over if you're not already. But anyway, first of all is this. The world today is infused with the doctrine of Balaam. It is infused with the doctrine of Balaam. See, somehow along the way, somewhere along the way, we have come to this doctrine that if it feels good, do it. If it satisfies, then worship it. If it, Hollywood endorses it, then it must be okay. If the government makes it legal, then it must be moral. Let me tell you something. Every one of those things are a lie that have come straight from the devil, folks. We do not base our morality and we do not base in the church. Now listen, the world's going to do what the world does and, 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 and we're not here to judge the world. We're here to be the church and to be a shining light that is not like the world, that's in the world but not of the world. And we need to understand that we 
are to be about God's Word and not the doctrine of Balaam. Look at what Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And what I think it's coming down to is saying there is going to be some times that folks are just going to say what we want to hear. There's going to be preachers and teachers sometimes that will say what we want to hear. But let me tell you something. If the preacher or the teachers is not stepping on our toes, and I'm including my own toes here, if we're not doing, if we're not doing what the Bible says is right and staying away from what the Bible says is wrong, then we need to know that the doctrine of Balaam is slowly fading into our lives and even possibly into the church. Number two is this. The church must resist the doctrine of Balaam. Verse 16 says this. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What it's saying is that it is obvious that God is not going to bless us when we are living out the doctrines of Balaam. God's not going to bless us as a people. God's not going to bless us as a church. It's obvious. And, and, and see, here's the thing. I think that we have been also deceived by the lie that says what we do in private really has nothing to do with who we are in public. Now, there's been some politicians and some preachers and some movie stars that how did that work for them? Not too good. But it's really for all of us. Because you see, if we are a part of the body of Christ, and, and if we're the body of Christ and, 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 and the finger is one part of the body of Christ, if I stick poison, if I stick a needle and infuse poison into this finger, let me tell you something. Eventually, it is going to spread throughout the whole body. Amen? And we don't want to be poisoned to one another by what we do in private. We want to be open and honest in a way that we live out who we are in private just like we do in public. There's a word for that. It's called character. Another word for it is integrity. I remember Bishop, the late Bishop Marion Edwards preaching one time a homecoming at my uh, former church. And I remember him saying... Character and integrity is not who we are when everybody sees us. It's who we are when nobody sees us. And folks, we have to resist the doctrine of Balaam. Now, this does not mean we retreat to the world. It does not mean we live in a gated church. This does not mean that we stay secluded in our holy huddles. No, that's not what this means. We have to go out into the world, but it means that we are a light to the world because we are different from the world. It doesn't mean we look weird, but it does mean that we are real. Amen? So I want to talk about two ways to resist the doctrine of Balaam. Two ways to resist the doctrine of Balaam. Number one is this. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. See, we have to remember that, that it takes us all just last, look, look, here's the thing. Just last Sunday, 
We had a beautiful baptism. Somebody joined in our church. Lindsay joined our church, and, and Tupac and Junior were baptized. That was awesome. And maybe you've, never, uh, maybe you've never thought about the words that we profess and that we commit. The parents commit this, and then we, the church, commit this. That we are all there to help them grow up in Christ. It's a, it's, part, it's, a, it's a responsibility of every one of us in that. Not just the family, not just the parents or the grandparents or the brothers or sisters. It's for all of us. And it's the same, amen, and it's the same way for us in, in doing that for us no matter what age we are. We are here to help one another grow up in Christ. Now here's the problem is, there's a lot of people in the church that love to speak the truth. But sometimes... We haven't always done it with love. And it's also, this, this scripture is for us to speak the truth to one another in love. That means that we have a relationship together. That means that we have fellowship together. It's not us going out there and beating the world over the head with a Bible. That's going to get us nowhere. No, it's for us on the inside of the church to help one another grow up into Christ. Because here's the thing. God is the only one that can change somebody. Amen? I can't change somebody. You can't change somebody. But you know what we can do? We can invite them into the presence of God where God's Spirit can work and be so thick in our lives that we cannot help but change. I say that whenever I pray at, right before every service. I say that, Lord, that you'll challenge us, your word will challenge us, that it will change us, and may we never get over it. And speaking the word in love is a part of who we're called to be. That in love is really important, especially when folks fall, stumble and fall spiritually sometimes. I remember Bill Balknight talking about that, you know, in America, whenever somebody wrecks their car, and I think probably most everybody in here has maybe at some point been in an automobile accident or something and, and, or seen one or heard of one or knew somebody in one. And when they wreck their car, we call out a tow truck. We call it a wrecker truck, right? So it's already, I mean, just by that name, you're already going to a wreck. You already are going where somebody somehow messed up and has wrecked their, uh, wrecked their car. In England, Bill Boltnight said that in England, they don't call them wrecker trucks. They call them recovery trucks. And he said, you know what? I think the church needs to stop being a wrecker truck where we go and we're just kind of reminding just by that name that they've wrecked and they've messed up. But instead, we need to be a recovery truck that comes in and helps and lifts up and gets them out of the ditch and to help each other out of the ditch so that we can recover and be who God's called us to be. Amen? And that's what speaking the truth in love is about. It's about encouragement. It is about correction sometimes. We don't like that word. Let me just go ahead and tell you, I need some people in my life. And I've got several. I need some people in my life that will speak the truth in love to me. And you don't want too many of those people. You'll be depressed all the time. Amen. But anyway, but, but we all need some people that will do it. My wife is one of them. And when it's good, she lifts it up good. And whenever I need correction, she corrects me as well. Not always happy about that. But anyway, but, uh, but I take it. But, but the thing about it is we need that. The second is this. Live by the example of Christ. The best way to live out the gospel and not be a compromised church 
is to live by the example of Jesus. That means loving the way that Jesus loved, living the way that Jesus lived. I I love what Andy Stanley says about that. He says, Jesus is always pointing us to the ideal. He is pointing us towards the way that it is supposed to be, but he always has enough grace for when we don't quite make it there. But you know what? We should never stop trying. We're not doing it to please him, no. We're not doing it to get to heaven. He's already done the work. You don't have to do one more thing or, or, or one more work to get to heaven. He's already done the work. We just received that grace. I, I remember uh, we had, a, we had a, a professor at Duke, and, and he would always come in and, and start his uh, lessons, start his classes by saying, Good morning, saints. We're like, mm, should we say good morning on that? I mean, you know, I don't know about saints. And then, and then he would say, good morning, sinners. And we were, yeah, good morning. We do that a lot, a, lot, a lot easier. But you know what? He said we should respond with good morning to both of those because, listen, in Christ, that is exactly what we are. We are sinners. We know that we're sinners. But we have been saved and blood-bought by the blood of Jesus. And because of that, Jesus sees us as a perfect saint. He sees his righteousness. God sees Jesus' righteousness on each and every one of us. Amen. And we can, amen, praise God. And we, we can say good morning in response to saint and sinner. I love how John the Revelator finishes this in verse 17. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the, white, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. I went looking to see what that white stone, and there's several possible answers for it, but most of, most of the scholars believe it is referring to an old way, that an ancient way that they would actually judge whether somebody is guilty or innocent of a crime or offense. That they said if, 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 if the jury was going to cast, it was a ballot that they would cast. And if they were going to cast the ballots that were saying not guilty or acquitted, then they would cast the white stone. That's what Jesus is saying for you and me, that yes, folks, we have sinned. Yes, we have messed up. But we can strive to live like Him because guess what? He looks at those mess-ups, and he looks at those, and his blood has washed them away. His blood has washed them clean. The, um, I, I, there's a story I read on Facebook this past week, and it was a lady that was at a TJ Maxx, and she saw this um, 
uh, elderly lady kind of, and you know, they got all those lamps and vases and all, and they got them all together on the, on the shelves. And they, this lady accidentally had hit one or put something up wrong, and they fell. And like a little domino effect, three or four of them fell and busted and, and, and broke all over the floor. And, and so he got down and um, he said he went over there to help the lady and, and get him up. And she was so embarrassed. And then all of a sudden, a clerk came up and said, Don't worry about this mess. I'll go get the broom and everything, and I'll get it up. And the, the elderly lady said, but, but I've broken all of this merchandise. I need to pay for it. And the clerk said, No, that's what we pay for insurance to do. And we have insurance on that. All of this brokenness, all of that, we'll take care of. And... Folks, that's how it is with God's love for us. That's how it is with what Jesus did for us. Folks, our brokenness, our mess-ups that we have broken all over the floor of our lives. Jesus says, I've already paid for that. and You don't owe a thing. And that's why we can live to be like that. Because He has washed the past away and given us a future that we can live for Him. Church, let's get real and be the church that we claim to be. Let's get real and be that church that you have led us and that we claim to be because of that. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You. We praise You right now, God, for who You are. Maybe there's some of us, Lord, that find ourselves like the merchandise broken on the floor that really just need you to come and to clean us up and to let us know that you already have paid the price. You've already made, made it right. Help us now, God, to be and to live into that. Help us to stay away from the doctrine of Balaam that we will infuse ourselves with the Holy Spirit so that we can live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.